Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, before we continue in the book of 1 John, uh, I want to give a little bit more background about some of the information that we're going to talk about today. And whilst I do that, though, uh, if you want to jump ahead, you can open your Bible to the book of 1 John chapter 3, because that's where we're going to be at uh, for all of this morning. Uh, and we've talked a lot about love over the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to give some background on why uh, we're talking about it and why John kind of digs into it. So in the Old Testament, the highest form of love, uh, not just in the Old Testament in the Bible, but in the Old Testament from a, in that time period, the highest form of love that one could show or have was self-love, because everybody loves themselves, right? Okay, I love myself. I don't know about you guys. I am very happy with myself. I love myself. Granted, I shouldn't have said that because some people love themselves a little bit too much. That's not where I was going with that. But there are also some people who maybe don't love themselves enough because of maybe the way they were treated or the way someone maybe spoke to them or said something to them. And so they don't show themselves the proper amount of love. They kind of feel bad about themselves. But in that time period, the highest type of love uh, was self-love, love for oneself, right? So what God did is when he freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he gave them a new mandate uh, that said that they're supposed to love their neighbor like themselves, right? Now, that differed from where they had just come from. They just came from slavery where they were looked down on, not just because of they were different, not just because they weren't from that nation, but also because they were shepherds. Like if you look in the Bible and you read through the book of Exodus, it says, it think, it says like at least two times that the Egyptians hated the Israelites just because they were shepherds. So in, in the culture that the Israelites just came from, uh, the only type of love uh, was determined by class or by status or by nationality or by faith. So God removes them from that culture that, remember, they spent hundreds of years in, generation after generation. So ingrained in them was the concept that this is the way love is done. It's not like they were going on vacation in other countries and like, oh, over here they do it differently. They were in that nation as slaves, and their understanding was love was, hey, it's based on your status. It's based on your nationality. It's based on all of these things. So when God forms them as a nation in Leviticus chapter 19, he says this, you're not going to take revenge or bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So way back, Old Testament, this is where this comes from. And he says, don't take revenge or bear a grudge against your people. Because they just came out of a culture where as Moses was trying to free them, every time God did a miracle, Pharaoh said, yeah, I'll let him go. And then he would change his mind. And then he would say, make their work harder. Whip them harder. He would bear a grudge against them. So God's like, hey, you don't get to do that. 
Then he says, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And neighbor in that, that time period was not just the person who looked like you. It was anyone who was in your household, anyone who was in your community, anyone who was a part of that living community, they were considered your neighbor. So even if they were different, you have to love them like you love yourself. And here's the other thing. The word he uses for love, it's not the, the agape love. It's the Hebrew equivalent of both phileo love, which in the New Testament is like that brotherly love, like love that you know men and women have for one another as friends, but also storge love, that love that parents have for children and children have for their parents and siblings have for one another, that family love. So he says, you're going to love your neighbor, have that brotherly love and that family type love for your neighbor as you do for yourself. And here's the reason why. I'm God. He's like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm God. I make the standards of what's morally right and what's just. And since I am the standard, here's the way that you are now going to see love, not based on status, like what you were used to and experienced for generations, but love your neighbor the way that you love yourself, right? And we've all heard that before. Now, Jesus comes along several thousand years later, and he flips it, and Jesus says this. We've looked at this verse like millions of times over the years, but he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, the old commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And God said, do it because I'm God. I am the Lord. Jesus is now saying, I'm giving you a new commandment. And the only one who could give a new commandment was God. So he says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. And that word love, the word we've been talking about, agape love, that, that unconditional devotion, even if you don't get it back, you are to love one another just as I have loved you, so you too should love one another. In other words, it's not, you're not going to love your neighbor and one another the way you love yourself. He now says the standard for loving one another is based on the way that I loved you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And he says, by this, if you have that as your new standard of love, all men are going to know that you're my disciples. All men are good. They're not going to look and say, oh, you're of this religion, you're of this status, you're from this community. They're going to look and say, if you're loving people like that, you must be one of those Christian type folks. Because they're the only people that show unconditional love to other people. And he says, if you love one another, if you keep on showing that love amongst yourself. And that's the new standard. That becomes the new standard, that agape, unconditional love comes the new Christian standard for how we love others and for how we live our lives. That, that's it. Jesus summarized it, and he said, if you love God and you love others, you fulfill every expectation that God has for you. You don't have to worry about trying to fulfill the law, the, the 613 rules, or the this or the that. If you love God, love others, you fulfill everything that God wants from you. And we're going to read a little bit more about that. So if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 John chapter 3. Because as we're going to see, <coughs> excuse me, there are some things that hinder people from walking in that kind of love, from loving others that way, and from living it out. And what John tells us, the biggest hindrance to that is a sin-filled life. Living a life in a way that's in opposition to God. 
So we're going to read a couple of verses that we read last week. Uh, So in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, how great is the love, again, the agape love that the Father has lavished on us. And he used that word lavish for a point, because it's not like God gave us a little bit of love or a portion of love. He just poured it out all over us and lavished his love upon us. And he says, how great is the love of that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And he says, the reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. And he says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here's where he starts to contrast that love, right? He says, everyone who has this hope and seeing Christ, and being like Christ, and living like Christ, they purify themselves, just as he is pure. But then he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. So he, he, he says that our goal, we're Christians, we call ourselves Christ followers, our goal is we should seek to live like Christ because of the love we have received from Christ, which makes sense, right? Now, if you do not Raise your hand, because I don't want anyone to feel guilty and have awkward conversations on the way home. But when you get in a relationship with someone, you tend to start to like and do the things that they do, right? You tend to want to go to the restaurants. You may not want to go, but you go to the restaurants that they want to go to. You tend to want to see the movie. You may not want to see the movies, but you, and eventually you start liking the movies that they like, and you start doing the things that they do because you're in this relationship where you're loving one another. And he says the same is true of Christ. We seek to live like Christ because we've received love from Christ. And once we've received that unconditional agape love of Christ, we can freely give it to other people. Right? Now drop down to verse 4. He says this, everyone who sins breaks the law. And people don't like it when you talk about sin in the church, but you can't talk about God, can't talk about love without talking about sin, right? So he says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he, meaning Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who who continues to sin has seen him or known him. Now, this is kind of harsh, but he's talking about conditional sin. He's talking about those people who say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. But every single day, they still go home and like beat their children. Every single day, they, they still go to work and cuss out their coworkers. They're not even trying to stop because they enjoy it. He's talking about those people who are like, hey, yeah, I call myself a Christ follower, but this part of my life, love it too much to give it up even for Jesus. And what John says is, I'm going to call you out on that and question if you're even a Christian, if you keep living your life in such a way that is opposed to the things of Christ. It is like saying this. And if you do do this, don't, don't look at whoever you walked in right now. But it is like saying this to your significant other, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. I love your cooking. I absolutely do. But every time they cook, you throw it in the trash. Every single time you throw it in the trash. Sometimes you don't even take a bite. You're like, oh, that's good, and just throw it right in the trash. <laughs> that's the same thing that John is talking about. Because you can't say, I love Jesus, 
But then the thing that Jesus tells us to do, you just throw it in the trash and say, I'm not going to be obedient to him in that way. All right, so verse 7, drop down to verse 7. He says this, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. And the reason he says this is because back then and today, there were people who were saying, yeah, you can call yourself a Christian like we talked about last week, but you can live any type of way you want. You can just go out and do whatever you want. You can talk to people the way you want. You can mistreat people the way you want. You can do whatever activities you want. And John is saying, no, I'm calling you out on that because that's not being obedient to Christ, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. And again, there's going to be temptations. He's talking about continual sin. That's why he said continue to sin, to, to willingly, if I willingly say, you know what, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, thank you God for your Holy Spirit, but I'm going to keep robbing liquor stores, you know, it kind of doesn't match up. That's different from the person who says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop doing these things that God said I should stop doing, but I'm still dealing with the temptation to do it. Those are two different things. We're still going to be tempted. We're still going to get angry. We're still going to be tempted by things that we used to do before. But he's saying the person who continues to willingly look forward to doing those sins, he's calling them out on, right? Uh, so drop down to verse 10. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And hopefully you guys have heard this before. We can't call ourselves Christians if we're not willing to love the people who maybe don't think like us, don't vote like us, don't look like us, don't have the skin, same skin color as us, have a different culture than us. We still are required to love them. And he's not saying, hey, just because you love them means you have to condone them continuing to sin. He says you can still love them and say, hey, but that action is wrong because that's the same thing that God did for us, right? Verse 11 says this, this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another, and he gives an example, he says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. How many people are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel? All right, so Cain, first child, oldest of Adam and Eve. Uh, Abel, presumably second child. They go out and they bring offerings to God. Now here's the thing. Because they bring offerings to God, someone had to tell them that that's what you're supposed to do. Whether it was Adam, whether it was Eve, whether it was God, we don't know. What we do know is Cain brought stuff that grew because he was like a gardener. Abel brought cattle and sheep and all that kind of stuff because that's what he did. Here's the thing. God specifically said, because of sin, the ground was cursed, right? And whether we agree with it or not, or whether we like it or not, it's the equivalent of, and, uh, like, I hate Brussels sprouts, so if on Valentine's Day, Christy said, I made you a Brussels sprout salad with a Brussels sprout casserole, followed by a Brussels sprout cheesecake, 
and a Brussels sprout martini, that's not really showing love to me. Someone else might like that, and no offense, but if you do, you really need to change your diet, because that is nasty. But someone else might like that, but not me. So whether we agree or not, God made it crystal clear. Bringing this type of offering, not really something that works for me. It's wrong. Bringing this type of offering is okay. Cain got jealous because God didn't accept his offering. And this is what a lot of people do. They take out their anger at God, since obviously you can't go take it out on God because that's a futile effort, right? So who do they take it out on? Other people, other family members, other coworkers, other friends. I'm mad at God, so I'm going to go home and curse out my wife. I'm mad at God, so I'm going to treat my coworkers. And here, I, I almost was going to pull out the, the soapbox on this. It doesn't matter how mad you are at God or who you're mad at, don't mistreat cashiers, waiters, and waitresses, and call yourself a Christian. You cannot do that. If, if, if you can't afford and you can only leave a small tip, that's one thing. But do not stand in the restaurant and yell at them, scream at them, call them out, and curse them out after you just came from church with, with, with your little cross necklace on and your Bible on the table, and you move the Bible over so you can bang your hand as you yell at the waitress, that's not what we're supposed to do. Okay, got off topic, sorry. Um, so he says this, he says this. He says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. God's expectation of us is not, not, not just that we go out and tell people that we're a Christian, but that we, one, love God, that we, two, obedience to God, which means we have to put away the sinful acts that God says are in opposition to him, but then we also have to love others and live in community with them. That means that we have to actually treat people with the love of Christ, right? Uh, jump over to verse 16. He says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And, and a lot of people, again, taking this verse out of context, and they're like, you're supposed to be willing to die for, you know, everyone in your community, everyone in your church. Uh, for my wife, yes. For some of you, I'd think about it. For some of you, I mean, I got to be honest, if I can run faster than you, you know, but here's what we are supposed to do. Because he's not saying you have to lay, he's not saying you're not a Christian if you're not willing to die for every single person in your church or community. He actually gives an example. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And here's the key. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. And James, the brother of Jesus, gives us that same information, right? It's not about, am I willing to lay down my life for you? Because everyone claims that they'll do that, but a lot of people won't. But it goes much deeper. It's like, hey, am I willing to give up some of my stuff to help you? Because that's a bigger act of love. For me to give up some of my stuff 
just so that you can have food or you can have a coat or you can keep your heat on. And it's not saying that I'm supposed to go into debt to do it, right? Because it doesn't make sense if, if, if I can't pay my light bill and then uh, Heather says, you know what? I'm going to give you money to pay your light bill, but the money I'm going to give you is what I was going to use to pay light, my light bill. Now I can't pay my light bill. That doesn't make sense. But if you have the possessions and the ability to help someone, and this is the way James puts it, right? And this is one of those controversial verses because people take it out of context. James says, what is the use or profit? Profit not meaning monetary. Profit meaning you're in a better position than when you started, my brethren. For anyone to profess to have faith if he has no good works to show for it, can such faith save his soul? He's not saying, He's not saying that just acts or doing good deeds is what saves you as a Christian. That, 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 that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you claim to be a Christian, like we just read, you're sitting around counting out your hundreds while everyone around you has no clothes, no food, and can't eat. What kind of faith is that? He goes on and he says this. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clad and lacks food for each day, and one of you says to him, goodbye, keep yourself warm and well-fed, sucks to be you, I'm going to start a fire in my big, nice cabin and have, like, a Thanksgiving-sized dinner, not with all my family, just for me, because I can, I might throw you a bone. That's what he's talking about. He says, what good does that do? And this, this is that thing where people look at Christians and say, well, hey, how come, you know, the church isn't like, all these churches aren't opening and uh, uh, homeless shelters for all the homeless people in America? Because all these churches don't have the money to do that. They don't have the money to do that. We used to have the financial resources to do things like that, but as people walked away from the church, then the church doesn't have the money to do it. But James goes on and he says this. He says, so also faith, if it does not have works, deeds and actions of obedience to back it up. By itself, it's destitute of power, it's dead. He's not saying that doing good works or good deeds is what puts you in right standing with God. He is saying if you claim to be in relationship with God, it should show in the way that you live your life, the way that you treat other people, and the way that you use your resources. And let me say this, let me say this, because this is important. Um, there is absolutely, positively, nothing wrong with being rich or wealthy and having money and buying yourself nice stuff. You won't find a verse in the Bible that says that. God used uh, the rich people to bless others, and he used poor people to bless others. King David was filthy, stinking rich. Solomon had more money than pretty much everyone on the planet combined. Take all the billionaires, add them up, and the one, I think one or two trillionaires that are on their way there, he, he, he had more money than them. So it's not about how much money you have. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's about what you do with it if you claim to love God. And that doesn't mean, you know, if, if, if you get rich or you have a rich job that you have to give it all away or you have to spend 90% of your money helping other people. If that's what God puts on your heart, that's fine. But if you use what you have 
to help people when you can, then that's a good thing. If you claim to be a Christian and you're not helping anyone and you have the resources to do so, then what James is saying, what the Apostle John is saying, what the pastor is saying, what God is saying is, are you really a Christian though? Because you're not showing your love to other people. Right? And every, every, every time someone uh, brings something like this up, people are like, oh, does that mean, you know, you don't have to give away all your money. You don't have to become poor. And, and we've said this before, sometimes the greatest thing that you can do to help other people is volunteer your time. You can go and help at a food bank, go and help at a clothing bank. Uh, you can go and pick up diapers. You can go and help at the blessing board. You can go and help at the diaper pantry, right? So this is what God wants us to do. If we're struggling with living out our Christian faith, what James has said is one of the possibilities might be is because we're still living in this sinful way and it's preventing us from really living out our Christian faith, right? So uh, I'm going to put the last couple of verses up on screen. And John chapter 3 says this uh, in verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Because there are some people, I just had a conversation with someone early this morning that was like, how can we know for sure that we even are Christians? How can we know for sure uh, if the thing we're doing with, is wrong, if we're struggling with sin? And this is what John is saying. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest, right? Uh, he says this, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If our hearts are condemning us about an action we're doing, a way that we're living, a lifestyle that, hey, I think this is totally okay, I'm feeling a little bit of condemnation from the Holy Spirit. That's because God knows, and God is trying to tell us, hey, you know what? Don't keep doing that thing. That condemnation, it's not judgment. It's not God saying, oh, you know, let me smack down you. It's God saying, hey, stop. Because if you want to be a part of my family, we don't do that here. But he also says this, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. If our heart, like if I've been doing this thing and wow, no one ever told me this was wrong, but now I hear the pastor saying living this way is wrong, doing this thing is wrong, uh, live, I can't talk about the relational coital stuff because there are kids in the room, but whatever these things are wrong, and now I hear the pastor talk about it, even if my heart's not condemning me because I'm enjoying doing this thing. Once I find out it's wrong, I can go to God and say, hey, God, I need you to help me stop this thing. And there are some things that God can help stop instantly. And there are some things that it may take a process. It may take, well, I've, I've been engaged in this lifestyle for so long that I've just got to take a step and move to here and a step and move to here and a step and move to here and eventually God will see me away from it. But I can ask God, and he says, we're gonna, God's going to help us because we're trying to keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We don't have to worry about, can God even help me with this thing? God's the one cheerleading saying, let's get you away from that, from that thing, from that relationship, from that hardship, from whatever you're going through. God is the biggest person trying to get us out of it. 
And if we're struggling with a sin issue, we can go to God and ask him. Because when we don't, here's what happens. When we don't, uh, skip that for a minute. When we don't, uh, people don't see what they should see from Christians. I mean, if you look online now and you tell people, oh, Christian this, Christian that, there's nothing but hate. Because all people see from people claiming to be Christians is hate. They should see our love for God. They should see our love for others. They should see us living out our faith, just like we said, obedience to God, love for others, living in communities for others. But instead, all they see is the hate. All they see is the sinful things that we do. And here's the sad part. Even the people that don't know and love God know the thing that we're doing. That's not a God thing. And they call us on it all the time. And then Christians get upset and we argue and yell, but they're right. Instead of seeing all of us hating on other people, and you're going to see a lot more close we get to the election because of politics, instead of us hating on people because of racial issues, instead of seeing all of that hate, people should see the love that we have for one another as we live in community with one another. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and we're going to spend a moment or two in prayer. We were going to sing. And traditionally, and this, this it, I, know, I know it sounds weird, but this is one of the things I won't say it's one of the things I'm against, but I just don't think it's, it's a right way to do it. But traditionally, what happens right now is the pastor will say, everyone bow your head. Don't bow your head yet. <laughs> everyone bow your head and then raise your hand. And then he'll ask you to repeat a prayer and commit your life to Christ. And God will help you with that sin. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is what we just talked about. If the Holy Spirit is condemning you, then you can just say, hey, God, I want you to help me with it. If the Holy Spirit is not condemning you, but something that we've said today said, hey, maybe I need to change my lifestyle, you can just ask God and he will help you. So now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come to the front. You don't have to do an altar call. All you have to do is believe that God loved you enough to separate you from your sin. Like we just read, Jesus came to destroy sin, to remove it from our lives. And he did that by dying on the cross in our place. And the Bible says, if you believe that, and you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did to remove sin from our lives, then he welcomes you into his family. But as John also said, and we just read, sometimes we struggle with continual sin. And if that's something that you're dealing with, then you can ask God right now, not because the pastor said so, not because you're repeating a prayer, but because you want to remove that thing from your life. Just ask God to help you with it. And he will be just and faithful to do it. So God, as we leave here today, we know that uh, this world we live in is filled with temptations, filled with issues that may lead us astray, pull us to one side or another. But we also know that we have a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or imagine. We have a God that loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. We have a God that, as we read earlier, who loves us enough that nothing on this planet or in this universe can separate us from his love. We have a God who will see us through any trial, help us overcome every struggle, and give us the comfort that we need 
We have a God that gives us the peace that transcends all understanding. And that's the God we worship. And that's the God we give praise to. And that's the God who we're asking to help us today. God, we pray that as we leave here again, that we would take to heart the message to live out your love, the love that you've shown to us, that we would live it out. That doesn't mean we become doormats and let people walk all over us. But it does mean that we are willing to love people in a way that reflects the love that you have shown to us. And for that, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.